In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pastors are faced with countless problems on a daily basis, but in my 20 plus years of parish ministry experience, I've encountered very few challenges that could not be overcome by simply having either more money, more volunteers, or more of both. Unfortunately, the two things most churches have far too little of are money and volunteers. It's a general rule for any nonprofit organization, but it's especially true in the church that 80, the 20% of the people do 80% of the work and 20% of the people give 80% of the funds. The problem, I think, is that while we spend a lot of time talking about things like giving and volunteering, the church, by and large, has failed to really develop a coherent theology of generosity. And yet, throughout Scripture, we are constantly being called to give of ourselves, to sacrifice what is most important to us for the sake of the church and for the sake of others. Our Old Testament and epistle readings today are great examples of exactly what I'm talking about. Now, there are two very different settings and two very different sets of circumstances, but the overall call on the part of the believer is the same in both. Today, I'd like to take a look at each of these readings and see what they mean for us today. We'll start with our reading from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Feel free to follow along in your service booklet. Now, for the most part, Deuteronomy records the lengthy discourse that Moses gives to the people of Israel just before they cross the Jordan River and enter into the Promised Land. Just prior to our reading today, Moses discusses a concept that is known as the sabbatical year. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15, Moses says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. So essentially, what's happening here is at the end of every seven years, all the debts within the Israelite community were to be forgiven, and any lands that had been held and pledged were to be returned to the original owners. Now, through this particular law, the Lord demonstrates that the long-term success and viability of the people of Israel as a whole is actually more important than individual success or personal thriving. It's the old adage that family ought to take care of family. Moses continues with this theme in our reading today, starting in verse 7 when he says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him 
and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. He's saying that if an Israelite sees a fellow Israelite in need and is able to help him, he is morally obligated to do so. Notice, however, that in this particular context, money is to be lent to the person in need, not simply given to them. Even though the law forbade the charging of interest on loans made to fellow Israelites, it certainly would have been the expectation that this loan would eventually be paid back. However, starting in verse 9, Moses issues a warning. He says, take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. The danger is that if someone is in need of a loan, and the sabbatical year is close, there's a very high likelihood that that loan is going to be forgiven in the sabbatical year before it can be repaid. But even if this is the case, Moses commands the people, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. In other words, generosity is something that needs to be done joyfully for the sake of others, even when there's no hope of repayment. Now, let's fast forward about 1,500 years. Paul's world is vastly different than the world of Moses and the Israelites getting ready to cross into the promised land. And yet... Paul is still preaching a very similar message of generosity. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about a collection that he's been taking up to help the impoverished church in Jerusalem. And he seeks to encourage the Corinthians by telling them about the generosity of the Macedonian churches, which tended to be much smaller and much poorer than the Corinthian church. But he tells them that the Macedonian churches are giving generously to this cause. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord." In a way, it's kind of like taking the big brother and saying, your little brother's doing a really good job with this. You should do a good job too. Now he goes on to say in verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul's making the point that generosity is about more than simply giving away money or resources. It's about joyfully giving away that which is most important to us, both our time and our treasure, for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of others. 
Paul makes a direct plea to the Corinthian church in verse 7 when he says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, seek that you excel in this act of grace also. By doing this, they will be able to prove, as Paul says, that your love is genuine. Paul's now going to turn the tables a little bit on the Corinthians. He's already lifted up these poor Macedonian churches as an example of generosity. He's now going to use Jesus himself. In verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, by the, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So if the Corinthians are too proud to follow the example of these other churches, perhaps they will be more willing to follow the example of Jesus Christ himself. After all, Jesus gave the ultimate gift of generosity when he, as Paul says in Philippians, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Imagine someone like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk giving away literally everything they had and taking a job working for minimum wage. And that doesn't even come close to describing what Jesus has given for us. And still, Paul is calling the Corinthians to imitate this generosity of Jesus. He's encouraging them to be willing to give away absolutely everything for the sake of the gospel. Well, it's clear then that generosity was important for Moses, it was important for Paul, and it's truly important for God as well. But generosity is about more than simply meeting a material need. Moses, Paul, and Jesus himself desired for the people to have hearts of generosity that look outward to the community rather than just inward at their own needs and desires. Part of our fallen human nature is that we are constantly seeking to put ourselves at the center of the universe, where our own individual wants are lifted up higher than the wants or needs or desires of anyone else. Even when our own basic needs are met, there's always something more or something better that we desire. So we simply stash it away for a rainy day or for an emergency. This is, after all, our natural inclination to keep our resources for ourselves. Now, I will be the first one to tell you that there's nothing wrong with having nice things or with saving money. Generosity has less to do with how much we have to give away than it does with our willingness to give away what we have. In Jesus' parable of the widow's might, 
He commends the poor widow, not because she's wealthy and gives a huge donation, but rather because she is willing to give everything that she has. How many of us will look at someone like Bill Gates and complain that he doesn't give away enough money or do his fair share, while at the same time keeping a death grip on our own resources? In Deuteronomy, Moses uses this image of an open hand to describe a generous heart. The idea is rather than clinging to our stuff, we're looking for how it might be used for the good of the community. Now, there's one final aspect of these two readings that I'd like to explore. There are plenty of practical benefits that come from generous hearts and open hands in the life of the church. When people are generous, our needs are met, our ministries are funded, our programs are staffed, and everything works like a well-oiled machine. But even more important than all of those things is the fact that generosity actually brings unity within the community. In our reading from Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are about to inhabit the promised land. And there was this real danger that they might become disconnected from each other as they are dispersed into the land. And it was inevitable that some of the people were going to be more prosperous than others, which would only serve to increase this division and this disconnectedness. So generosity was a way to continue to bind them together in mutual love and affection for each other. It was a way to strengthen that bond of the community beyond just blood or heredity. Now, Paul understands the same principle in 2 Corinthians. During these early days of the Christian church, there was this division between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile converts. But Paul knew that if he could convince the Gentile churches to contribute to the needs of the Jewish Christians, that it would help to heal this divide between the two groups. He describes this mutual affection and assistance beginning in verse 13 when he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Paul is telling them that they're all in this together, and just as it was for the people of Israel, so too with the church, family, needs to help family. Now, almost 2,000 years after Paul wrote these words, this call for Christians to develop hearts of generosity is still there. Just as Jesus gave himself fully for us, we need to have open hands and open hearts to give ourselves fully back to his body, the church. My challenge to each one of you is to examine your own hearts. Are you living a life of generosity? Or is your hand closed, tightly gripping that which is yours? If the latter is true, I want you to think about some things you can do to increase your own generosity. 
The problem is that if we decide to wait until we have a generous heart before we give our lives away, it will never happen. Because it is actually the act of giving up, of opening our hands and letting go, that creates that generous heart within us. But through this act of giving up and letting go, we will find that we will all be drawn closer to God and closer to one another in unity of mind and of purpose. And that, my friends, is what the Lord has called the church to do. And that is who he has called us to be. Thanks be to God. Amen.